Hello Team Builder. Thank you so much for joining us today on Ask Michelle and Chris. We're here to answer your questions about team building so we can learn and grow together. I'm your host, Chris Cabert of Fun Doing and On Team Building. I'm joined by my co-host, Michelle Cummings of Training Wheels. Let's go find out what we can answer for you today. Hello listeners, we are at Training Wheels headquarters again. I just like, I I had to drive all the way home to get my microphone and then I came back here because I wanted to come. I did. I wanted to come to your house and just hang out with you guys. Nice. Uh, Yeah, so it's been, we both had long days. Mm -hmm. You were, you've got a new client. I do. I have a new client in the Philippines. And so the time zone difference is so different that when a good time for them to meet is 4 a.m. my time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So the things we do. There's some challenges the there. The things we right? do. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've got a party coming up. It's Halloween. A lot of people like Halloween. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. And costumes. Are you doing costume party? Or? Of course, yes. Oh, of course. Yes. Okay, so you're one of those groups. I am. Oh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, the boys aren't going to dress up anymore, are they? Are it's they adult still? only party. Oh, adult so, only. Yeah. Okay. And technically, I guess Dawson is an adult because he's 19, but he's not invited. <laughs> okay, he didn't get invited. Okay, all right. Well, very good. We we should have recorded our pre-conversation because we have <laughs> had a whole bunch of old things, but... Uh, let's do a quick icebreaker question because okay. I just did a training and something I really like to do when I'm teaching people about how to use resources because they wanted resources to work with groups on their own. And I said, well, let's let's create icebreaker questions. We all know about icebreaker questions. Let's create some. So we had three topics, fun, um, something that is informative about the person, and something that is deep. Mm-hmm. So I made them write three different questions. And then we started out with the fun ones, and one of the uh, one of the ones I got was, "What do you always carry around with you?" Mm-hmm. I like that one because you don't really think about it because sometimes it's so automatic that you don't even think about what you always have on you. Yeah. What about you? What do you carry around? Okay, with so you all the time? anytime I leave the house, I you know I have to have my you know your driver's license. You I carry it in purse, right? Okay. So okay. anyway, three things that are always one hundred percent in my purse at all times. I have fingernail clippers. I have Burt's Bees lip balm. Ooh, okay. And I have this little tiny three-inch tall character named Teve that goes with me everywhere. And there's a silly story behind Teve. He was my 19-year-old Dawson. When he was two, we were at a garage sale, and he was rummaging through the 10-cent box and found this little plastic character. Right, and he pulled it out, and it's kind of a portly, chubby, little character um, that is. And he pulled it out. He looked at it, and he goes, "Look, mommy, Teve." And Steve was a guy that worked for me at the time. And this little tiny character looks nothing like Steve, but it was so hysterical that Dawson looked at this character and thought it looked like Steve. And so, and of course, he was two, so we couldn't say his S's yet. So then Teve started coming with me. And of course, when you're, you know, when my babies were little, they used to be kind of upset when mom would leave all the time to go on travel trips and whatnot. So one time Dawson, he was very emotional about me leaving to go on a trip. And so, um, so you know, trying to console him, um, I was like, tell you what, Dawson, I will take something with me that reminds, you know, like whatever. So anyway, he's like, will you take Teve with you on the trip? I was like, of course I will take Teve. And so then I just started taking Teve with me 
and taking pictures of Teve in silly places on my trips. And so therefore, Travels of Teve yeah. um, then wow. became a thing. And he had his own Facebook page for a while. <laughs> like it was this super funny thing that we did for a cool. very long time. So. Cool. Traditions now. That yeah, yeah. And and Teve is still around. Teve is still around. Teve still goes with me everywhere. Okay. Teve has Teve can go places people can't. Yeah, and no kidding. Teve is hysterical. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Just yeah, that would be a sentimental thing that yeah, yeah it would be a hardship if yeah. If and he's seriously Teve's whenever gone. I leave this house, Teve is with me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, mine is a Spyderco knife. Oh, okay. And then also a small Swiss Army knife because it has the little clippers on it and the nail file and the box opener and, you know, that kind of stuff. What about when you fly? Well, when I fly, I don't take any of those things. Oh, okay, okay. um, Unless I'm gone for a really long time. But it's it's okay. But then when I fly, obviously, there's a wallet that that goes with stuff. So I guess you're always... Pretty much carrying tied to our IDs, right? Yeah, so I don't have too much sentimental things. I I I've had too many traumatic experiences of losing sentimental things. Mm, mm-hmm. So over the years, I have stopped sentimentalizing mm. because of the trauma it causes me when I lose it. Ooh, okay. Yeah, that Ooh. that was. We can yeah, unpack that if we, we want to. We can unpack <laughs> that later on. That's that's mm. for my therapy okay. session that's coming up. Got it. All right, so, uh, you've got kind of a handle on what we're going to meander yes. through today. After we, you know, we haven't seen each other for a while, so we had to connect. I know there a we're little totally bit. chatty, and uh, at your expense, of course, listeners. Okay, <laughs> what are, what are we meandering? Okay, so Chris texted me this topic. He was like, "Okay, how about this one? When, as a facilitator, should we be supportive, and when should we challenge the group?" And I was like, "Ooh, I like that because there is a, that takes a specific skill set, I think, to start." I don't know, diagnosing is a word that we've kind of come up with to like, when do we do that? So um, I know you had an example from today. Like, so give them an example from today. Uh, We're doing bullring and there were two groups doing the bullring, two smaller groups, and each dropped it once along the way. So they had to start over Mm -hmm. and it was getting you know, tumultuous. It was, you know, getting nerve wracking. Mm. They got to the end and both groups got to the, the pedestal pretty much at the same time. And the bull rings we were using were the three-dimensional ones. So the, oh, okay. so the tube, it's like six-inch tube with strings all over it, so mm-hmm. it's very tippy. And the one group, they were both starting to put it on there, and then one group dropped the ball right by the pedestal, right before they even started. So they were very disappointed. And they walked back to go start again. And the other group got so close and failed, and then they went back to start. And then do you start that group? Then to me, it became a timing thing. Mm. Because we were about to move to the high ropes course, and the window was closing. Ah. So so right now, thinking about that, maybe that's a factor mm-hmm. when to be supportive or when to challenge. Because supportive is sometimes you kind of let them slide. Right. And then, and then it's done. Versus challenging seems to go to the path of, well, you got to do it over. Because you didn't do it well enough or you didn't meet the goals that you set right. or, or the goals of the activity. That then leads to more time. Right. So now that I'm, you know, meandering through this topic, what are the factors that lead to that supportive and challenging? Yeah, and I think my initial response to this topic slash question was, 
I think it depends on what the desired outcomes of the program are. You know, if that was a group, you know, if, if the desired outcome for that particular group was excellence, like no drops or whatever excellence looks like to them, I would say we probably needed to start over, right? But if it was something completely unrelated to that, maybe it was accepting our, accepting failure or failing forward or, you know, supporting one another through challenging times or I don't know, something else, yeah. then that would probably influence whether I would support the group in that particular moment or whether I would challenge them to start over or challenge them or push them a little bit more. So the setup was what, what I'm hearing you saying is the setup may influence if we're supportive or challenging. Right. Mm -hmm. What are what has been set up in in the beginning? Right. For them to meet. So those process oriented goals versus and not necessarily versus but the product. Mm -hmm. Have we set that ahead of time? Oh, I like that. So yeah. that could be, a, those could be influencing factors. Yeah, you know, and I think of other times where I've had to make these hard decisions as a facilitator. And, you know, one of the skills that I teach newer facilitators in my Experiential Facilitation 101 class is around the concept and skill around diagnosing a group. You know, and for me, when I, when I use that phrase and kind of in the course I talk about you know, when a group is kind of going through an activity and they're kind of escalating a little bit and you're, you can almost tell when they get to this point, there's this tipping point, if you will, to where they're either going to break through and get it. Like you can tell you're like, oh, they're at that spot. They're either going to, they're almost there. Are they going to get it? They're going to break through and get it. Or you can start to see their behaviors, their attitudes, their things start to break down, right? And so as a facilitator, you know, we often do pre-briefs. Um, it's also appropriate for us to do mid-briefs, you know, and so that's the skill that I teach in diagnosing is knowing when to kind of step in a little bit and maybe stop what they're doing, call a little time out and say, okay, let's talk about what's working right now, what's working well, and then let's talk about what's not working so well. Um, and hopefully by by taking that pause and doing that little mid-brief, it's it's, that's the supportive part of what you're doing. You're kind of helping them diagnose, letting them be the ones that kind of diagnose what's working, what's not working, that then when we get back at it, they will then break through and, uh, and get it. Rather than if we don't do anything, we don't do that mid-brief, it could lead to that breakdown that actually does more harm to a group rather than, uh, than good. Right. And, and even listening to that process that you go through, that could be that could be a way to challenge a group mm -hmm. because again if you if you know the objectives in the group if you challenge them to get through it on their own then you're are you giving them the skills will they will they will they learn the skills or uncover the skills that they need as a group to recover from breakdown. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody comes to us and goes, oh, we, we need skills to recover from breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> That's not usually typical. Right. Mm -hmm. However, we see that. Mm -hmm. And then how do we, do we start, I love the mid-brief, do we give them, do we coach them? Um, so there are facilitators that will then use that coaching path of here's what I've observed before, uh, would this help? Could I give you a tool? Our friend Tom says, hey, what about a tool? You mm -hmm. want a tool to use? And and they, can, they may accept some help 
in that way from an outside person. Right. So is is that challenging them uh, versus supporting them? So that's the that's that line I'm trying to disseminate uh, is it, supportive is encouraging them even though they're you could challenge them mm-hmm. and push them a little bit or do you jump in and if you challenge them and that leads them to trauma right you know so then are you pushing them too far mm-hmm. um, that becomes now that that art of facilitation that that some people get into mm-hmm. and and the challenge that I had for Michelle when we were talking was to be you know is it teachable is this knowing when to support knowing mm-hmm. when to challenge a, a learnable skill or is it an experienced yeah skill I would say it's oh, it's probably a little bit of both I do you know if I think back to you know my you know my early facilitator self I know that there was one group I, I remember this one particular group I did and I pushed them way too hard mm-hmm. and it it ended up not they ended up not having the greatest experience and I think it was because I I was doing more of the challenge I'm like you guys can totally do this and yet what I was asking them to do was just it was yeah. a, either above their ability level or what and I've thought about that group I don't know how many times over my <laughs> 30 Did you learn from that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And at the in a sense at the group's expense, right. unfortunately. We've all been there. Right. We've all said no, you you know, I've seen it done, you can do it and then they just don't have the skills right. or the or the bandwidth to get it done the way you anticipate it being done. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes to again our our friend Tom of your experience with things will not be like other people's experiences. Right. So the mm-hmm. expectation, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That 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 whole idea of support to me is around. You see them feeling successful, mm-hmm. and do you want to step on their moment, right. so to speak? Yeah, you know, it, it, that's a hard. Sometimes a really hard choice. Well, and uh, sometimes what I do is. You know, a technique that I implement sometimes is I I ask the group, what level of challenge or support do you want from me? Um, You know, and for example, in an activity like group juggle is an activity that most listeners, I think, all know. And I facilitate group juggle a little bit differently now than I ever used to when I first learned it, you know, 30 years ago. And it, it now what I do is I will initially like first establish the tossing pattern and then um, I then toss three items through. Um, through that same tossing pattern. Now, after the group has, you know, just a little bit of experience with multiple items being tossed through the system, I say, okay, now that you have this little bit of experience, I need you as a group to come to consensus and or to, to set a few goals for yourself. How many items do you think you can su- successfully toss through this system? Um, whereas, and I, I'll start and I'll be the first tosser and I will toss in all the items. I won't accept the first item out of the system until the last item is into the system. So if I had a group of 10 people and they chose 12 items, I would not accept the first item out until all 12 items had been distributed into mm-hmm. the system, right? And that, so that's the first goal I ask them for is the, what's the number of items they think they can successfully toss through. And the second is what is the acceptable number of drops that this group will accept? And now I've just given that challenge to them, right? And so, you know, and I've done it this way so many times now, it surprises me so much to, you know, and it helps me as a facilitator 
gauge their level of challenge that they want you know like what are they up for today are they up for 20 items and no drops i'm like okay if that is my group then that means i could probably challenge them more than i I mean you still support them but like i could probably challenge them more or they're going to call themselves out on a misstep on a breaking of the rule or something like that whereas a group i literally read this one time it was a group of 20 they chose 10 items with 26 drops. And I was like, okay, this is a group that does not want a lot of challenge. That They left a lot of room open for quote-unquote failure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then as a facilitator, we've all been in those positions where you'll go, oh, well, 26. You know, <laughs> then we impose right. the challenge. Exactly. Where what you're saying is you let them choose that i did oh so you put it on them to even though we're sitting back going okay they they don't need 26 to drop right you let them choose oh that's a nice way and in the end then the debrief was really rich around that like you know because i think they ended up only having eight drops you know which you know and so then at that point you're like okay um how does this relate oh first we talked about what happened why is that important how does this relate back to your daily operations. This was, you know, an organization that was going through some massive change and they were all very set in their ways and very fearful of the impending changes. And so the 26 drops metaphorically then started to represent so much more. And the debrief that we had around that process was so rich. I have talked to the CEO of that particular group so many times, multiple times. He said he still thinks about that. He was appalled at the 26 number, chose. that they yeah, chose they that. Chose. And he was a newly hired CEO at the time and that they just, he felt there was no pressure, there was no desire for them to, you know, to really even attempt yeah, anything that was hard. they were risk adverse. They were, they were yeah, risk yeah. And adverse. That, that's telling. Mm-hmm. And that's telling what, but I like the, I like how you let them. Mm-hmm. You let them choose. And then I would imagine as you do other activities, that changes yes. once they start to see they're they're competent together and how they work together. Then the challenge changes. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool! Yeah. So that's a nice progression that puts it back on them, right? Um, to challenge them. Oh, that's a that's a nice way to look at it. Okay, and and I I tend to do that with some groups. I ask them what level of challenge one to five, and you know a lot of them like you say five. Mm-hmm. Give us a five. Mm-hmm. And then five, they can't even get through. Right. So they understand then what a five is. And then they say, okay, let's dial it back to a three. Let's mm. see what a three is like. So they, since they don't have information, then when you offer a level of challenge, then you can challenge to that point. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think there must, there, it sounds like there's like different categories of support challenge, <laughs> Absolutely, right? Absolutely, totally. Yeah, this well, is the where, meandering. Yeah, yeah, totally. Again, we, we talked about like, this is going to be a meandering topic. We're just going to go, we're going to talk about this and this and this, and it all kind of relates. And yet, is there any one right answer? No. Yeah. You know, it's it's judgment call on you as the facilitator. What's in the best interest of the group? Um, how does it fit within our time schedule? How does it fit within the desired outcomes? Um, what do they need from me? Do they need me to push? Do they need me to pull back? Um, and sometimes, again, that mid-brief, like just stop and say, what's working? Yeah, ask What's them. not working? Right. That's what great. do you need from me? Do you need me to just support you right now? Do you need me to challenge you more? That's great. And let them tell you. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I've been recently telling people what my role is mm -hmm. a little bit more than I used to okay. to let them know what I'm here for. Uh, and I think that's been helping them to understand what I can do for them. Mm. It's like, I can challenge you. Uh, I can bring up things that I observe. Do you want me to do that? Compared to the 300 plus teams I've worked with mm -hmm. over the years, I can if you ask. I'm, I, I can do some of that, but then we don't want to be that advice-giving body that they want to know what I think about because I don't want to change the group. So again, it's that art. Mm -hmm. It's the... In, in education, there's called a connoisseurship. Mm -hmm. As you do something for a long period of time, you get a taste for, like a connoisseur of fine wine kind of a mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. You get a taste for what you do, and you can speak to it more because of the more experience that you have. So that, it definitely goes with experience and what the gut maybe then the, now we have the gut coming Ooh, in the gut Ooh, feeling. should I <laughs> oh, I think this is a good place to push them and then sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't so now it's an intuitive yeah right as well and and reading the group but yeah it's been something I've been thinking about for the last few weeks especially with the college students that I work with are very driven to excellence and when I see that they are not being excellent is it then my job to challenge more? So wrestling with that. Yeah, so it sounds yeah. like it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And again, I don't think there's any one right or wrong right. answer. It's that trust your gut. It's those instincts. And a lot of that takes time as a facilitator to develop. Um, you know, and again, you you have the gift of working with some of the same students over and over again, whereas other facilitators and other listeners, you know, you may have one group in one day and then they're out and then you never see that group again. Right. So so I think that also plays an, a part in, in this, like when to be supportive and when to challenge is the length of time you have with a group. If you're sure. a, a teacher, if you're an adventure therapist, you're, whatever, you're working with the same group long periods of time, then I think you can probably push and challenge a little bit more than those one and done groups that are just in for a really short period of time too. Yeah, it's a, and that's a comfort level. Mm -hmm. So what what do you want to get involved in? Because right. that's also opening boxes. Um, to you, you can't. Well, I think you and I had this conversation. You don't want to open a box you can't close. Right. Exactly. Yeah, Make sure you have the before. time to. If you do surface something, especially that uh, might be more challenging and difficult for people to discuss and whatnot. Make sure you have the time to process that through uh, naturally and have the time to to close that so that you don't leave people walking away with hurt or trauma or you know any of those things as well. Well, thank you listeners for entertaining our meandering topic today of when to be supportive and when to challenge. If you have any additional comments or thoughts on this, we would love to hear them because we could put them out on a blog post or we can address it in a future newsletter or even put it out on some of our social media channels and direct you in the show notes where you can do that. But let us know your thoughts on it. We'd love to hear from you. You can find the submission link and anything we discussed in today's episode in the show notes. Find the show notes and past episodes at onteambuilding.com forward slash ask podcast. That's onteambuilding.com forward slash ask podcast. You can find me and sign up for my newsletter at training-wheels.com. You can sign up for my Fun Doing Fridays activity email and find me at onteambuilding.com. 
We hope you join us next week for Ask Michelle and Chris About Team Building.